We begin today a study of the Mosaic Covenant, that is, the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. And in connection with this Mosaic Covenant, we're going to divide it into two main parts. First, we're going to take a look at the books Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And then we're going to take a separate look at the book of Deuteronomy, which really stands kind of by itself as we'll see when we get there. And we're not going to pay a lot of attention to the books of Leviticus and Numbers, just um, highlights from those uh, two books. We're going to spend most of our time, first of all, in the book of Exodus. Now, Exodus begins with God actually having fulfilled one of the promises that he had made to Abraham. He would he had promised to Abraham that he would give to him an innumerable seed. And during the years of oppression in Egypt, Israel had become innumerable as God had promised. Verse 7 of Exodus 1 emphasizes this, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly, and the land was filled with them. So that's one promise that God had made to Abraham already fulfilled. We find also in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, that when the people cried out to God, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God remembers the promises that he had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he hears the cries of his people in Egypt. And he is remembering especially the covenant that he made with regard to the land, that the land in which they were sojourners would become the possession of their children. And now God, therefore, intends to fulfill this promise also that he had made to Abraham. And we see him beginning to fulfill that promise as he calls Moses to lead the people of Israel, as he brings his plagues on the land of Egypt, and as he brings Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness and to the land of Canaan. So we see God then working throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy towards the fulfillment of that other promise to Abraham that he would give him the land. There is more detail about God's remembering of this promise in Exodus chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We'll begin to read actually at verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. And now hear the reference to his promises. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So that's how the book begins. But now as we uh, go through, towards the middle of the book of Exodus, especially when we come to chapter 20, we find the Mosaic Covenant itself being established by God with his people Israel as they are encamped at Mount Sinai. In fact, we have there in Exodus 20, 
21, 22, and 23, the book of the covenant. This is what uh, the scriptures themselves call it in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. Moses, we read, took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So this is the book of the covenant, Exodus chapters 20, 21, 22, and 23. Now there is some disagreement about certain parts of that book of the covenant, where it begins and where it ends, but I don't think those questions actually matter greatly. Some would say, for example, that the covenant, the book of the covenant begins in chapter 20, uh, verse um, 22, when uh, God actually begins to instruct the people in the details of his law. And we read there, Then the Lord said to Moses, and they would uh, conclude then also perhaps that the book of the covenant ends with chapter uh, 23, verse uh, 19. And verse 20 then uh, is a kind of conclusion where he talks about sending his angel before them. But I don't think it matters greatly because I think we can look at the first part of chapter 20 as the introduction to the book of the covenant and the last part of chapter 23 as the conclusion to the book of the covenant. It's, it's not a very important question. We can also see, of course, that in Exodus chapter 19, we have an introductory chapter as well. Here is the record of Israel's coming to Mount Sinai and of the Lord uh, beginning to make the arrangements for his people to hear his uh, law from his mouth there at Mount Sinai. And he says already to them, in uh, chapter 19, verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And he's referring to the covenant that he then details in chapters 20 and following. So let's look then first, before we get to, to the book of the covenant itself, let's look at the uh, concluding chapter in this section, which is chapter 24. What we have here in chapter 24 is uh, what happened uh, after God had given to Moses the book of the covenant. And he says then to Moses, uh, first, come up to the Lord. It's probably implied here that Moses is still on the mountain. He is to go down the mountain now because he's still on the mountain alone. And he is to bring up onto the mountain with him, as God says in verse 1, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. So Moses has been alone on the mountain to receive the book of the covenant. God sends him down and he says, bring up Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders with you. And they will come partway up the mountain and then you will go on alone higher up the mountain to meet with me. 
So Moses comes down the mountain, verse 3 of chapter 24, and he tells the people the words of the Lord and all the judgments that he has received. That is, he gives them the content of the book of the covenant as found in chapters 20 to 23. And all the people answer at that point with one voice and say, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. So the, Moses speaks verbally the book of the covenant to the people, and the people say, we will obey the Lord. But then Moses does another thing, and a much more formal and ceremonial thing in verses 4 and following. He writes down the words of the book of the covenant, and he uh, uh, has a whole ceremony then associated with this writing down of the words of the covenant. He builds an altar at the foot of the mountain. He establishes 12 pillars there according to the 12 tribes of Israel, undoubtedly a memorial of this covenant which God is making with them. They offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Moses takes half of the blood of the animals that are being sacrificed and sprinkles it on the altar. He takes the book of the covenant and reads it to the people and he the people respond, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Here's a more formal response as well. Moses then takes the rest of the blood of the animals and sprinkles it on the people and says, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. So the, the people uh, say that they will obey the covenant which God has made with them, and Moses sprinkles them with the blood of the covenant. And of course, that blood of the covenant is very important. We've talked about it in connection with the covenant with Adam after the fall, that there was blood involved in that uh, covenant that God made immediately after the fall. Adam and Eve began to offer sacrifices. Um, we saw it in connection with Noah, that Noah, coming off the ark, offered bloody sacrifices to the Lord. And we saw it in connection with Abraham as well. The blood of the covenant, which is the means by which this covenant can come into being. God cannot make covenant with a people who are unholy. They must be uh, cleansed of their sins before he can receive them into his covenant. And so here again, we have this ceremony of the sprinkling of the blood of the covenant so that the people may enter into covenant with the Lord. Now, sometimes this uh, ceremony, which Moses performed here in Exodus 24, is called a ratification of the covenant. I do not think we should speak in those terms. God established his covenant with Israel. God imposed his covenant on Israel. He came to them and he said, I am your God. I have brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now that you are my people and this is how you must live. The people, therefore, when they say we will obey, are not agreeing to the covenant, are not um, uh, ratifying the covenant in the sense that now because they have ratified it, that covenant exists between themselves and God. No, the people merely recognize that they must, as the people of God, obey him and observe the covenant which he has given to them. It's after Moses has uh, performed this ceremony with the book of the covenant in 
the early part of chapter 24 then, that Moses with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu and 70 of the elders go up the mountain. And they see, verse 10, the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Here again, I think we have a kind of memorial of the covenant. As Jacob and Laban ate together when they made their covenant, as Jacob was returning to the land of Canaan, you can find that in Genesis 31, I believe it is, So here, the people uh, who had come up the mountain with Moses, Nadab, Abihu, Aaron, and the 70 elders, uh, eat and drink with God as a kind of memorial of the covenant. And they have a vision of God as well, though we are not told exactly what they saw. Then God says to Moses, now you leave them and you come up alone further up the mountain And I'll give you the tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. That's in verse 12. Moses and Joshua go further up the mountain, uh, instructing the elders and Aaron and uh, those who are with him to stay where they are until he returns. And Moses then stays on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he receives the two tables of stone. He receives also, and I think this is the connection now of chapter 24 with what follows, he receives also the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And in that building of the tabernacle, we have to recognize another fulfillment of God's promise, promises to Abraham. God had said he would be the God of Abraham's children. And here he comes to set up his house among them, to live among them, and to be their God by having a dwelling place among them. He tabernacles among his people then, as he had promised really, or as part of a fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, I will be the God of your children. So this chapter 24 is is a very important chapter in the book because it brings us to the end of what we may say is the first half of the book where Israel travels from Egypt to Sinai and God gives them the book of the covenant and the second half of the book where God uh, gives them instructions for building the tabernacle and they actually do so. That takes up the rest of the book of Exodus from chapter 25 to chapter 40 with uh, the incident of the golden calf Uh, sandwiched in between the instructions for building and the actual building itself. We'll talk about that at another time. So we see Exodus then as uh, God fulfilling his promises, fulfilling the promise that he will give Abraham many children, fulfilling the promise to bring Israel out of the land of Egypt and back to the land of Canaan, at least beginning to, and fulfilling the promise that he will be the God of Abraham's children. And it's then in this light that we have to understand this book of the covenant. God is saying to his people, I have made you my people. I'm coming to dwell among you. I'm going to build my house among you. You have to live as my people. 
You have to live according to this book of the covenant, which I am given, giving you. I cannot live among you unless this covenant, which I am giving you, is obeyed. So that's uh, chapter 24 then. Let's go back now to look at the book of the covenant. As we said, the, we can say that the introduction to that book of the covenant is found in uh, the first part of chapter 20, where God gives to Israel the Ten Commandments. Here's his basic law for them. Here's what they are to do as his people, fundamentally. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You see the reference to the promise to Abraham there in the introduction to the law. And then he gives them the law. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image and all the way through the Ten Commandments. So the Lord is giving his um, law in the context of his covenant with them. But at the end of his giving of the law, the people, um, having heard the voice of the Lord and witnessed the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai, are very afraid. And they go to Moses and they say to Moses, you go and talk to God for us and then uh, come and tell us what God has to say. So we have a kind of interlude here beginning in verse 18 and going through verse 21, where this new arrangement is made. The people have heard the Ten Commandments from the voice of God himself. They are too afraid to continue to stand in the presence of God. And so God makes for them the arrangement that Moses will be his spokesperson to them. And it's in verses 22 and following of chapter 20 that we begin to find then the heart of this book of the covenant. Now we're not going to go through all the details of that book of the covenant, but there are, I think, a few things that we should notice about that book. First of all, there's a strong emphasis in that book of the covenant on the first and second commandments. You shall have no other gods, you shall not make carved images. In five different places, uh, in this book of the covenant, God makes reference to this idea of no idolatry and no image worship. You have, of course, first of all, the uh, first and second commandments themselves in verses three and four. Then if you go to chapter 22, verse 20, you'll find that God lays down a penalty for idolatry. He who sacrifices to any god except to the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. There's the penalty for idolatry. Then in chapter 23, verse 13, God adds a little bit more explanation to this. He says there, And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So there he says, not only you shall have no other gods, but I don't even want you to make mention of the name of other gods. 
In chapter 23, verse 24, just a little further on in that same chapter, he says to them again, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Now this is in the conclusion to the book of the covenant. God has said he's going to send his angel before them to keep them in the way. And he's warned them against provoking this angel, and he's preparing them for the conquest of the land. Verse 23, my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And it's then that he says, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. So when you have come into the land and when you are conquering these people, make sure that you do not be drawn, that you are not drawn away from me to serve the gods of the nations whose land you are conquering. And then finally, in verse 32 of that same chapter, he says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest you may, they make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods it will surely be a snare for you. So God gives them different perspectives on those first and second commandments uh, throughout this book of the covenant. There's the penalty for idolatry, destruction. There's the further explanation that they are not to mention the names of those gods. And that's, of course, to mention them in, in a reverential way as if they were to be afraid of those gods. They are not to bow down to those gods and they are to make no covenant with those gods. So that's a very important part of this book of the covenant. The Lord is their God, and they are to worship and serve him only. They are the Lord's people. Another thing that we should notice about this is that immediately uh, after God begins to explain his law to them, he uh, gives them instructions about his worship. In chapter 20, verses 22 and following, he talks about how they are to build altars. Verses 24 and following, excuse me, an altar of earth you shall make for me. So he says, you're not to make an altar of hewn stone, you're to make an altar of earth or an altar of unhewn stone. You're not to have steps to go up the altar because the priest must not expose his nakedness on the altar. This is how they are to worship him. And this connects by two words with the end of the book of the covenant in chapter 23, verses eight and 18 and 19. In 24 to 26, he talks about the altar of earth and he talks about sacrifices. An altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings. And if you go over to Exodus chapter 23, verses 18 and 19, you see that those same two words appear again, though in a slightly different way. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. So again, he's focusing on his worship and then in verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land or of your ground or of your earth, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So he kind of wraps up this 
Book of the Covenant in the ideas of no idolatry and proper worship. Proper worship is exceedingly important. We cannot worship, we may not worship God as we think best. We must worship God according to his commandment, as God told Israel as well. So now let's just look at some prominent parts of the rest of the Book of the Covenant. In chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, there are laws about Hebrew servants. And the basic law here is that if you have a Hebrew servant, you may not keep him permanently in bondage. You must release him at the end of seven years. Then in the rest of chapter 21, verses 12 to 36, you have penalties for various transgressions of the law. There's a large portion of this uh, book of the covenant then that deals with penalties. There's first of all, in verses 12 to 17, uh, the death penalty for various transgressions of the law. Then there are other penalties for acts of violence in verses 18 to 36. If you go on to chapter 22, verses 1 to 15, you find penalties for theft and destruction of property. And in verses 22 to 16 to 20, penalties for rape, for sorcery, for bestiality, and for idolatry. That's another very important part, then, of this Book of the Covenant, the the penalties that are to be imposed for transgressions of God's law. In uh, chapter 22, verses 21 to 27, we have another section about not mistreating strangers, widows, orphans, and the poor. Another very important part of God's law. It has to do, of course, with the second table of the law, love your neighbor as yourself, but it has to do um, particularly with the poor and the vulnerable, uh, both of strangers and of the people of Israel, and how they are to be treated with kindness and with love and with understanding of their condition. In chapter 23, verses 1 to 9, We have a section that deals with justice in judgment, but it's interrupted in verses 4 and 5, a very interesting little interruption here, with uh, more laws about how you are to treat your neighbor. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. You may not like your neighbor. You may not want to help him. You may consider him your enemy. But God says, if you see that he needs your help, you may not refrain from helping him. You shall surely help him with it. But before and after, you have uh, uh, ideas about justice in judgment, not showing partiality either to the poor or to the rich, not perverting judgment for anyone, but exercising righteous judgment. And then in verses 10 to 17 of this same chapter, you have, I think we may say, a section on the Sabbaths. First, in verses 10 to 12, you have the Sabbath year. Every seventh year is to be a year of rest for the land. 
and the commandment regarding the Sabbath day in verse 12. Then you have, as we saw already in verse 13 of 23, verse 13, you shall not make mention of the name of other gods. And then in verses 14 to 17, the laws concerning the three feast days or feast weeks, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles. And those were closely associated also with the Sabbath day. And finally, then, God concludes with some regulations about uh, his worship. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, so unleavened bread only in the sacrifices, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The fat is to be burned up on the altar. It's not to remain. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So they have to bring their first fruits to God. And finally, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. That's a very interesting law there, and it's actually repeated two more times. It's repeated in Exodus 34 and again in the book of Deuteronomy. And it would be an interesting thing to do to explore the significance of that particular law, but we do not have time for that today. So that's kind of a summary then of that book of the covenant which God gave them. And as we said at the beginning, God is here coming to his people and he's saying, I am your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I've done all these wonderful things for you. I am now forming you here at Mount Sinai to be my people. I am going to establish my dwelling place among you. And therefore, here is how you must live as my people. This is not, this covenant of God with Israel at Sinai is not contradictory of God's covenant with uh, Abraham or his covenant with Noah or his covenant with Adam and Eve after the fall. It's a development of the covenant. God is showing to them how they must live as his people, as he comes to dwell among them in fulfillment of his promises. It's very important then that we understand that this book of the covenant, especially the Ten Commandments, is to, fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, and is obligatory, the Ten Commandments at least, are obligatory upon us. And many of the parts of that law, as explained in Exodus 20 to 23, are also obligatory on us. We, too, are God's covenant people in the New Testament. Christ has shed the blood of the New Covenant. God has become our God in Christ Jesus in a far better and more glorious way than he was the God of his people in the Old Testament. And he does not say to us in the New Testament, things have changed now, I don't care how you live any longer. The law is gone. He says to us still, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of sin. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the idea of the law, then, in relation to the covenant. And we'll be exploring this in more detail as we continue our study of the book of Exodus next time.
May God bless you with his word.